0: Welcome to New Life Church's weekly message. New Life Church's mission is to lead people into a transforming relationship with Jesus through the gospel. This is message number three of the series, Behold an Advent Celebration, with speaker Pastor Steve Benninger entitled, John the Baptist's Declaration, from Luke chapter three, verses one through eighteen, and John chapter one. You can find the sermon outline for this message at enewlife.com.
1: Well, hey, Christmas is fast approaching, and uh, I know I've told you this before, but when you hear it, laugh about it like it's the first time you heard it. Years ago, uh, this was the time of year that when our, our kids were littler, we would pick a night and pack everybody into our van and drive around Gahanna and look at the Christmas decorations, look at the homes that were all lit up and so forth. And because we are Benningers and we are all high J's on the Myers-Briggs scale, that means we had to find a way to turn it into some sort of contest or competition because that's what Benningers do. There have to be winners and losers and everything, right? And uh, so I remember one night we are driving around and all of a sudden I hear coming from the back seat, there's a C minus. Ooh, there's a B. Oh, I'll give that one an A. You know, so my kids are assigning letter grades to these homes. their decorations, right? Turning it into a competition of sorts. And uh, finally, I turned around and said, so what's the basis for your grading system here, guys? And one of them said, well, our first rule is this. If they don't have a manger scene in the front yard with Mary Joseph and baby Jesus, they can't get an A. And, you know, that made me kind of proud as a dad. And I thought, yes, they get it. <laughs> They get what Christmas is really all about, that it's Jesus' birthday. And so I think that's a good thing, don't you? And, uh, you know, I want to help all of us get it this Christmas season. I want to help all of us focus on Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, and realize it's His birthday. And what we're really celebrating at Christmas is Him, right? In the midst of all of the busyness and all the preparations and all of the distractions, I want to help us get focused on Jesus so that we worship Him. And the way we've been doing that in this series is by doing some beholding. Some beholding. Last week I told you that one of my favorite words in all the the Bible is that word, behold. And I looked it up over 1,100 times in the ESV translation of the Bible, we find the word behold. Behold. And I told you that that word means to stop and stare at something to pause and really take in what is before you so that you really see it and really appreciate its true value you know when you think about it the whole bible is really a book of beholding and especially beholding the lord jesus christ amen that's what the bible is you know on several occasions when he was here jesus declared that the bible was primarily about him John 5.39 comes to mind when he said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me. And with those lenses on, with those Christ-centered lenses on, I think we could say that in the Old Testament we behold Jesus prophetically. In the Gospels we behold Jesus historically. And in the epistles, in the letters, we behold him theologically, and in the book of Revelation, we can behold Jesus eschatologically as the coming king who one day will return to come and judge the nations and vindicate his people and set up his eternal kingdom. The Bible really is about beholding the Lord Jesus Christ. And it issues a call, doesn't it? It calls us to stop the frantic pace of our busy lives to stop and stare at Jesus and see him for who he really is and in response worship him. In fact, I would contend that that's how you can know that you are truly beholding Jesus. You worship. That's the only response that makes any sense when you see Jesus for who he really is. Well, in the Bible, we're introduced to some great beholders, Some men and women who stopped and stared at Jesus Christ and could not help but worship him. So far in this series, we've seen two such people, haven't we? The young Virgin Mary, the mother of our Lord, who broke out into a spontaneous song of worship that we call the Magnificat when she was visiting her relative Elizabeth. And last week, we saw Elizabeth's husband, Zechariah, who was an elderly Jewish priest, who poured out his own song of praise right after his wife gave birth to their son, and we called that the Benedictus. Now that son, that little tiny baby boy, his name was John, whom we know as John the Baptist, well, he grew up. <laughs> and, and when he did, he would have his own things to say about. Jesus of Nazareth, and it's, it's the declarations that came out of John's mouth that I want us to take a look at and explore more deeply today. And so, before we do that, let me pray for us. Our great Father, mighty God in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for these in your word who truly did behold the Lord Jesus Christ, whose expressions of worship were captured for us in the scriptures so that we can be blessed by them and inspired and encouraged by them today. And I pray, Lord, for all of us here today, that through the the ministry of the Spirit, we would be encouraged to behold your Son and worship. Give us eyes to see him more clearly even today, I pray. In Christ's name, amen. John the Baptist. What a unique dude that fellow was. Last week, we noted that his arrival as a little... Baby boy brought great joy to his elderly parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth. They had believed what the angel Gabriel had told them their son would grow up to be and to do. It's recorded in Luke chapter 1, verse 15. It says, for he will be great before the Lord. Talking about John now. He must not drink wine or strong drink. and He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before him, that's before the Lord, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And so, as John grew up into young adulthood, it became increasingly apparent that he would be a guy who would march to the beat of a different drummer. He was just different eccentric maybe that's the word john was an eccentric fella he wasn't laid back and relaxed he was intense he was an intense guy apparently growing up he was somewhat of a loner it says that that he spent lots of time out in the wilderness in solitude he was kind of different his diet was kind of different what did he eat locusts and wild honey i mean how's that sound for breakfast cereal in the morning he was different in his apparel, his attire. He wore a camel hair outfit with a leather belt, which was not in style at the time. But then being in style was not very important to John. He was just kind out of out of sync with his culture, a, a misfit of sorts. But that didn't seem to bother him a lot. He was okay with being different. The way he talked to people was also different. When John spoke, the usual Pleasantries and social graces commonly found in polite company were conspicuously absent. John spoke his mind, not much of a filter. And uh, as a result, he often offended people. Really, John the Baptist was the last of the Old Testament-style prophets. You know who I'm talking about, right? Those holy men, sanctified and set apart for God's work those men who cried out against the evils of their day and also railed against the the phony religiosity of those who were claiming to be the people of God. Like those prophets of old, John would boldly point out people's sin and call them to repent, both the rebellious sinners and also the religious types who didn't appreciate his ministry that much. He told people the truth told him the truth, and he let the chips fall where they may. But mostly, mostly, listen, mostly, John pointed people to Jesus. John talked about Jesus a lot. John magnified Jesus of Nazareth. And I want us to, s- to see how he did this. I want you to turn this morning to John, the book of John, chapter 1. And we're going to see how this fiery young 30-year-old preacher expressed his passion for the Lord. First, I want us to, to see his mindset, okay? Because his, his message arose from his mindset. John chapter 1, verse six says this, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness, to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. And so the first thing we note about John is that he was a man on a mission. John knew that he had been commissioned by God to bear witness about someone else. You know, it's interesting to read about John's life because it becomes obvious that there were many, many people who after hearing him speak and he spoke with such power and such force that that many people thought he was the Messiah. Thought he was the Christ. That's why the writer here is so careful to clarify. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. You know, it's heady stuff to be a person that other people want to hear. Especially for a young fella. A young dude. That's heady stuff. That can feed your pride. It can bloat up your ego. I've seen it happen time and time again. Especially to young guys you got this dynamic young preacher, people want to hear him, and he hears all the oohs and all the ahs and all the comparisons with other great preachers, and he starts to think, you know, I am pretty awesome, actually. People really are privileged to be able to come and hear what I have to say. Man, that kind of popularity can go to your head. You can actually start to believe your own press. You know what, having an inflated view of your own self-importance has been the downfall of many a young preacher. John here seems to have kept a level head despite all the attention, and he had this clear sense of his divine commission. I'm here sent by God for a purpose. He knew that God had called him not to draw attention to himself, not to seek to have his own name in lights or have people make much of him, but to direct attention to somebody else. It says God sent John to bear witness about the light so that people would believe in the light. And by the way, that's something about John that all of us can mimic, that all of us can emulate, I think. Maybe you don't have John's intense personality. Maybe you're not brash and bold and in your face, uh, in your personality like some people are. That's okay. You don't have to be like John in that way. I really believe that Satan tempts some of us to think that we're just not cut out to be a witness for Jesus because we're not like so-and-so who is just so extroverted and so fearless, and we just kind of opt out and say to ourselves, you know, I'll let dynamic Dave do that witnessing stuff. I'll let brash Betty talk to people about Jesus because she's so good at it. I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. Man, don't fall into that line of thinking. You know, if I was Satan, if I was the devil, that's what I'd tell people. You can't really do that. Just let let the, the professionals do that. Listen, you can have your own way of pointing people to Jesus. You can have your own brand of bold. Did you know that? Ask God to free you up so you can be comfortable in your own skin and talk about Jesus to people the way you would talk to them about Jesus because there are some people who need to hear it from someone like you. Not from brash Betty or dynamic Dave. God wants to use each and every one of us and he will if we'll just accept how he has wired us and yield our expectations to him and ask his spirit to open doors. And listen, if you are one of those intense, outgoing, in-your-face, brash types, be who you are. It's okay. Now, you'll scare some people. And, and some people will be intimidated by you, and maybe you need to dial it back a little bit and make sure you're under the control of the Holy Spirit, but you've got to be who you are. You've got to speak it the way you would speak it. And John knew who he was, and he knew how God had wired him up to be outspoken and to be in your face and to be brash, and he talked about Jesus in a way that fit who God made him to be. And that's what we should all do. Now, it says the crowds came out in droves to hear him speak out in the wilderness. And although lots of people wanted to hear him, by the grace of God, he stayed humble and he kept his focus. Notice verse 19 of John 1. This is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? (laughs) Who are you? Verse 20, he confessed and he did not deny, but he confessed, I am not the Christ." And they asked him, well, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I'm not. Well, are you the prophet? He said, no. So they said to him, well, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? Verse 23, he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. So point two here, John testified that that he was that prophesied herald, announcer, forerunner, sent in advance of the Lord to announce his arrival and prepare the way. So John knew his role, didn't he? And here we begin to see the level of John's self-awareness as far as his place in the big plan of God. And he mentions the prophet Isaiah here and He knew that 700 years prior, the the prophet Isaiah had predicted something. And the angel Gabriel had lifted that off the page, and he had applied it to this son of Zechariah and Elizabeth. He had applied it to John. And it was that John was to have a unique role in God's plan. And we don't know exactly when it was. We don't know if it was when John was 8 Or 15 or 22 or 28, but somewhere along the line in John's life, it dawned on him, I'm that guy. I wonder if it sent shivers up his spine. I'm the guy. I'm the forerunner. I'm the herald. I'm the announcer. I'm the one who was sent to prepare the way of the Lord. I want to read Isaiah's prophecy to you so you'll you'll have it. it. It's in chapter 40 of Isaiah, beginning in verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem, and cry to her that her warfare is ended, her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Verse 3: A voice cries, In the wilderness: prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway our God every valley shall be lifted up every mountain and hill shall be made low the uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken and maybe you hear that and it sounds strange to you and you think well what is that all about valleys lifted up mountains shaved down ground being leveled off it sounds like some kind of excavation project And you wouldn't be far off. You see, in the ancient times, the king, the monarch, the ruler, periodically would leave his throne and leave his palace and go out and take a tour of his territory as a show of his might and his strength. He would set out to visit the various hamlets and villages and towns and cities that were in his domain, really to just put his majesty on display and put the fear of him into his subjects but before he would set out on that journey a messenger would be sent out ahead to prepare the way for his visit a herald who would go to each of those towns in advance of the king with a message your king is coming make preparations it's to your own advantage to do so You ought to spruce things up a bit around here, put out some decorations, and especially fix your roads. Because you wouldn't want the royal ruler of the land to take an embarrassing spill when he pulls in because you hadn't repaired all the potholes and filled in all the ruts. That would not go well for you if he had an incident and his enemies were to hear about that and make him a laughing stock. He would take it out on you. That would not go well. So... Get to work, making a nice, level, straight highway for the king and his entourage to travel on into town. Give your king a reception suitable for someone of his stature. Prepare the way. Make his path straight. You know, think about that. These people, there was no CNN back then, no satellite television, no internet. They'd never seen the king. And this herald, this messenger would come and say, your king is coming. He's coming in person here. Don't you think that would set the town all abuzz? Man, we got to get to work. We better get busy. We better clean this place up. They'd never seen the king in person. It was an act of faith, really. This herald, this forerunner would come and urge everybody to get things ready so the king would have smooth and easy access into the city. And so John was telling these inquirers who had come out to him in the wilderness that's me, that's my role, I'm that guy, I'm the messenger, I'm the herald, I'm not the king. I'm the guy that the prophet Isaiah predicted would come in advance of the king and help people get prepared for his arrival. I'm that voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. That's who I am. Because the king is coming John would say and he's Not far behind. Well, the people who had been sent out to question John were not satisfied with his answers, and they pressed him further. Verse 25 of John 1, they asked him, Well, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? And John answered them, I baptize with water, yes, but among you stands one you do not know. Interesting, it's the word behold. Among you stands one you haven't beheld yet. You haven't stopped and stared and seen him for who he is. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not even worthy to untie. And a bit later, he would make that famous statement, He must increase and I must decrease. See, number three, John recognized that he was subservient to Christ and he hoped to one day be completely eclipsed, completely overshadowed by Jesus. You know, rare is the person who has been elevated by God to a prominent place who actually wants to be out of the spotlight. But that was John. Yeah, he was a hot new preacher in town. There was a buzz. The crowds were coming out in droves to hear him. But he kept insisting, it's not about me. It's really not about me. I'm just a servant of the one that you should be looking for. Listen, I'm not even worthy to bend down and and untie his sandal strap just to kind of put things in rank order there. And the truth is, John said, I'm going to fade out of the picture before long. A few months, you won't even see me around anymore. But hopefully, you'll heed my message and give him your full attention and your full devotion. By the way, that's how worshipers of Jesus think. Did you know that? That's how worshipers think. They think, you know what? Any platform that God does choose to give me, I'm going to use that platform, that stage, to point people to Jesus. I want to make it about him, not me. The other day, uh, my friend Rich and I were talking in the office over here, and he was telling me about a a point guard for the Golden State Warriors named Steph Curry. You heard of him? The Warriors are a great team, good basketball team, and Steph Curry is is an amazing point guard. He's he's a lights-out shooter, especially from three-point range, and he's also a Christian. In a recent interview, Steph Curry said this, Obviously, there's a lot of hoopla and fanfare that follows you wherever you go as an NBA player, but I know where my talent comes from. And I know why I play the game, and it's not to score 30 points a night, but it's to use the stage that I've been given. I've been put here for a specific purpose, to be a witness and to share my testimony. I love to point people to the man who died on the cross for my sins. I know I have a place in heaven waiting for me because of him, and that's something that no earthly prize or trophy could ever top. Because Jesus means everything to me. And I love that, don't you? Don't you love it when someone who's given a platform or given a stage, put in the spotlight, says, you know, it's not about me. <laughs> it's about someone else. Kind of sounds like John. Steve, Steph Curry is saying just what John was saying. Really, look, it's not about me. Thanks for all the accolades. Thanks for all the attention. But my popularity is not really for me. It just gives me a platform to talk about what is most important to me. And that's my relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God for that. And that brings us to the pinnacle, the climax of John's declaration about Jesus. Verse 29 of John 1. The next day, he, John, saw Jesus coming towards him and he said, first word, Behold, stop and stare at that man right there, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. What an interesting statement because who was older between the two, John and Jesus? Who was older? John, but he says he was before me. Is this not a reference to the pre-existent Son of God who was alive before He was ever born in Bethlehem's manger? Sure it is. John knew that. Verse 34, And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Number four, John called people to stop and stare at the One who would do for them what no one else could do. Behold Him. Early in 2016, we're going to study the first 12 chapters of the book of John together. And we're going to look closely at all the dozens and dozens of portraits of Jesus Christ that are contained here in the Gospel of John. But I'm here to tell you that none of those pictures is more precious, none of them more astounding, none of them more important for your life than this one spoken right here in John uh, 1.29. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. For that matter, none of those portraits is more exclusive because the only being in all the universe who is qualified to be the Lamb of God and take away the sin of the world was the Son of God himself. Behold the Lamb. That was John's declaration. Yes, Jesus is the light, who shines his truth brightly into our world. Yes, Jesus is the Lord, the master whose sandals we're not worthy to stoop down and even untie. And yes, Jesus is the coming king for whom we must prepare the way. But if that is all that Jesus is, we would be crushed. We would all be doomed if Jesus were not also the sacrificial lamb who bore our sins. You see, his light is too bright for us. We would all be blinded permanently by the brilliance of his light that emanates from his being. His lordship is too dominating. We would be crushed under all of his righteous and holy demands. His kingship is too pervasive, too extensive, reaching down even into the inner recesses of our hearts. And if the truth about us were known, we would surely all be guilty of treason against the king banished from his presence forever. But listen, the Lord is also the Lamb. The Lord is also the Lamb. The mighty king laid aside his scepter, got off his throne, and allowed himself to be executed by his subjects. And I ask you, what king does that? Seriously, what king does that? He came unto his own, and his own received him not. What king does that? The light came into this world, but he allowed himself to be shrouded in darkness. The glorious Son of God became the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He laid down his life. No one else could do that for us. No one else would do that for us. Only the pure, sinless Son of God who is also the Son of Man. Only Jesus. Only this one whom John was sent to testify about. And so I say, thank you, John, for pointing the spotlight squarely on the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you John for deflecting praise, not absorbing it for yourself, but deflecting praise to the only one truly worthy of your worship and our worship. Thank you John for being willing to decrease and fade away, fade into the woodwork, so that there would be no ambient light detracting from his brilliance. And thank you for declaring the truth about the Lord. I believe we should thank God for all of the beholders that we find in Scripture, don't you? Those who saw Jesus for who he really is and expressed it so poignantly and so powerfully so that we could be blessed. Now, John's call to the people he spoke to was prepare the way of the Lord. And I want to strap his sandals on for a few moments And try to help you and yours, you and your family this Christmas, prepare the way for the Lord in your own heart. May I do that? And so on the back side of your outline it says, it's numbered one through four, and there's nothing there. Which means I can say whatever I want. (laughs) I want us to think about preparing our hearts for the Lord this Christmas, keeping in mind what we learned from John today. So let me give you several things. First, accept it personally. How do I prepare the way for the Lord in my life and my family's life accept it personally listen to me yes Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world but it's not enough to know that and I know people and there are people in this room I, I know that I know the Christmas story I know that Jesus died on the cross but here's the reality God gives everyone a choice doesn't he Yes, he's the lamb who came away to take away the sins of the world. But the question is, have you embraced the sacrifice personally for yourself? It's not just the sins of the world, but have you come to that point where you've said, you know what? It was my sins that nailed him there. My pride, my lust, my arrogance, my rebellion, my self-focus, my anger, my resentment. It was my sins that nailed him to the cross. It's got to get personal. It's got to go from your head to your heart where you say, I need a savior. I'm telling you the truth you can't get in on the coattails of your dad or mom who are churchgoers the fact that you have a grandpa who's a a pastor is a great thing but that can't save you or an aunt or an uncle or or a little eight-year-old child who loves jesus and is trying to help you as a parent understand why they're so filled with joy about jesus all that's great but you have to make your own choice John 1.12 says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the children of God, even to them who believed in his name. You want to prepare the way for the Lord in your life this Christmas? You've got to accept it personally. You won't truly appreciate the glory of Christmas until you do. Accept it personally, by faith. Second. Take some time to behold him. That's what this whole series is about. Take some time to stop and stare, to behold the beauty and majesty of Jesus in all of his excellencies, in all of his perfection, so that he becomes the centerpiece, the focal point of your Christmas celebration this year. So yesterday afternoon I was at the house and everybody else was out doing something and I had... a a stretch of time alone and i just put some christmas music on some worship music christmas worship music and i turned it up loud and it's neighbors i don't care you know it's christmas oh and i just let it you know oh holy night fall on your knees oh hear the angel voices oh night divine when Christ was born. Oh, how I encourage you to do what you need to do to behold Jesus this Christmas season. Stop and stare at the majesty of the Son of God. There's no one like him. No one like him. And then number three, respond in worship. As you behold Christ, respond in worship like Mary, like Zechariah, like John the Baptist here. Express to the Lord your love and devotion for what he has done for you, what he's done for those that you love. Listen, write a song. Where are the songwriters at New Life these days? Where are those who are penning new lyrics and new songs of worship and devotion to the Lord? Sing unto the Lord a new song. Who's writing those songs? Write a poem. Write a blog. Write a piece When we come together, sing at the top of your lungs. Or even if you're at home alone, you got the music cranked up. Sing at the top of your lungs. So that your neighbor goes, what the heck is going on over there? Lift your hands in the sanctuary, as it says in Psalm 103. Lift your hands in the sanctuary. Give Jesus a special gift for his birthday this year. Serve someone in need with the love of Jesus. Find your way, that's what I'm saying, find your way of giving supreme worship and devotion to Jesus Christ this Christmas season and honor Him in that way. Accept it personally, behold Him, respond in worship, and number four, point others to Jesus. That's what John did. Point others to Jesus. Use whatever platform the Lord gives you Whatever stage, whatever platform the Lord gives you to direct people's attention to the king who is the lamb. Who knows, who knows how the Lord might want to use you this Christmas season to spread the word about Jesus to your family. I know some of you, you've been praying for years. You played a scenario out in your mind for years. Oh, if I could just be with my family at Christmas, my siblings, my parents, in laws and outlaws, aunts and uncles. I just want them to know about Jesus. There's a young man in our church who did this a couple years ago. He said, You know what? I think God is prompting me to go to my family, and you know, when the meal is done and everybody's lounging around in the living room and just kind of, uh, you know, I'm going to say, Hey, everyone, I got something I want to share with you. Wouldn't that be cool? Some of you have been dreaming about that for years. Pray and ask God to open the door. Maybe this would be the year God would use you to point your family to Jesus. Man, that would be, be special. Make it a special Christmas, wouldn't it? Do what John did. It's not about me. It's not about me. It's about him. And surely Christmas is about him. Well, who knows what God might do if that was our attitude? Using us to point others to the Lord who is the light, who is the lamb. Pray with me, would you? Lord, thank you for your servants who were faithful, even in the midst of bewilderment and even in the midst of opposition, they were faithful to proclaim the truth of who you are. Thank you for Mary, the mother of our Lord, thank you for Zechariah, father of John, your prophet. And thank you for John. Lord, I pray right now for all of us in this room who are believers. I pray that believers would become beholders who would become worshipers. Lord, I pray you'd fill our hearts this Christmas with a, a strong and deep sense of gratefulness for what you have done for, your, for us through Jesus. And Lord, I pray for any in the room who are not yet believers. And you know, everyone, with your head bowed and eyes closed, I want to ask this. How many of you would say, I, I don't think, Steve, that I've ever really personally accepted the death of Jesus as being for me? But I want to. Would you lift your hand up if that's you. I want to, I want to. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Oh, I pray you won't leave this place without having bowed your knee to Jesus Christ, the one who gave his life for you. And Lord, I do pray that if any here want to become believers, followers, beholders, worshipers, that you would take them there, that you would give them the faith to believe, you would give them the eyes to see your son as he truly is. May everyone truly celebrate Christmas this season the way it ought to be celebrated. It's the birthday of your precious son. It's in his name that I offer this prayer.
0: Visit us each week as we continue to journey through God's word and seek to know him better through the Gospel. Our prayer is that the gospel has taken a deeper hold of you as we have studied the word together at New Life Church, where Jesus is front and center all the time.